It's time for midday. It's 1130 here at KRVN on a Monday, the 22nd day of February. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Whole gang will be here in just a moment as we'll talk with Jason Jorgensen in sports. Another busy week on tap. It was another busy weekend as well. Bob Broken will tell us about how stocks are performing so far. And uh, temperatures, boy, they're looking nice. 50s in most of Kansas and northeast Colorado. No 50s quite yet here in Nebraska, but I have a feeling that will change. We'll get more with uh, Paul Perkins coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But let's talk with our own Susan Littlefield. And Susan, how was your weekend? It was nice and uh, for the most part quiet. Were you I'll at the that way. Were you at the Cattlemen's Classic all weekend as well? I wasn't. I let Clay take over the weekend since right. I was there during the week. I just I spent time with the kids. My daughter was home from college and well, very take good. advantage of that time. Yeah. Good deal. Well, what do you have for us on tap today? Well, real quick here, it is National FFA Week, so you're going to be hearing a lot of true blue salutes. And I know that some of the uh, farm team has been sharing photos and remembrances of uh, FFA Week. So if you want a serious laugh, go check out my 1989 hair on Twitter. I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Pulled out an FFA picture I'm pretty proud of. So go check it out if you want want a good chuckle on a Monday. All right. Here's what's happening. 1219 Alex is going to kick everything off. The Kansas Beef Council has created air fryer recipes that spotlight beef. So we're going to find out more about that. You know, air fryers continue in their popularity. Then at 1245, you know, spring is feeling like in the air, which means before we know it, it's going to be fall in the Nebraska State Fair. We're going to find out from the executive director, Bill Ogg, as Bryce talks to him about some changes that are going to happen in 2021 for the Nebraska State Fair. And Chabella will wrap up everything at 117 as the High Plains Ag Lag ag lab talks with one doctor about the history of wheat and millet so check that all out on the midday all right very good thank you very much susan have a good one you too all right let's turn things over to jason jordan and sports it was another busy weekend uh, in sports this past couple days yeah impressive win for the husker volleyball team yesterday after they didn't play very well on friday losing a heartbreaker in four to minnesota well they bounced back yesterday they took care of Susan's Minnesota Gophers is sweeping <laughs> that one. Uh, it doesn't get any easier for Nebraska now as they'll hit out on the road and take on Wisconsin, who's been a nemesis of Nebraska's the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Uh, they've actually changed the game time on one of the games for the weekend, but we'll have both of those matches here on 880-KRVN. Sub-district basketball begins tonight across the state. I know you were just talking about our uh, lineup a few minutes ago, so we won't go through it again, but we'll have some basketball this week on our multiple platforms, that's for sure. If you like hoops, uh, the, the KRVN stations are for you. College, high school, yeah, that's we'll all some, we got. We'll have some district finals, lots going on. Mm-hmm. And a nice win for the Husker women yesterday. Uh, after it looked like maybe their season was going in the wrong uh, direction, uh, they popped Penn State yesterday. Nebraska's won two in a row and now 11-9 and nine of the year. Very good. All right, let's turn things over to uh, Bob Brogan. And, Bob, how are stocks looking on Monday? Stocks are a little bit lower. Boeing is helping to pull the Dow Jones Industrials a little bit lower after the company recommended airlines ground all the 777s with the same type of engine that uh, had some problems over Denver over the weekend. Also, uh, a couple of big tire companies are locking arms, uh, Goodyear and uh, Cooper, and they're going to make some tires. Um, also, Becton Dickinson and Holdridge is expanding its operations in the middle of the pandemic, so that's kind mm. of 
Neat, too. All right, very good. Let's turn things over to... It's a sobering fact that suicide rates among farmers are among the highest of any profession. Join us as a panel of farmers and rural mental health advocates discuss their personal experiences in dealing with depression and stress and the strategies and resources available to help yourself or someone you care about. An important conversation about mental health on the farm, brought to you by this station and Commodity Classic. Listen to their special one-hour program Monday, March 1st at 6 p.m. on 880-KRVN. And it's time for a regional ag weather update here on this Monday. Paul Perkins is now joining me in the studio. And, Paul, we're seeing some nice warm temperatures, finally. (laughs) Yeah, last week at this time, we were well below zero. And uh, Monday morning last week, Broken Bow had a temperature of 37 below this morning. Her wake-up temperature is about 33, so 70-degree oh. difference in morning <laughs> temperatures in just a week's time. Hard to uh, fathom the math there, yeah. but that is uh, unbelievable there. So those polar vortex, has it basically gone back up into the Canada region now? Yeah, basically a ridge of high pressure is kind of building in from the west, and that's helping to push all this cold air well to our north. Uh, seeing some strong westerly winds, and that's really boosted our temperatures up very quickly today. Mm-hmm. Those westerly downslope winds, those winds very strong. As you head towards Wyoming, from west of Laramie to north of Cheyenne, some wind gusts of 65 to 75 miles per hour, including a 78-mile-an-hour wind gust in the Wheatland, Wyoming area, just across the border from Nebraska there. You keep the wind out there. Just give us our warm temperatures (laughs) out in this way. Now, we were looking here at the radar, and it's funny because you look at the temperatures here in Nebraska, mostly 40s right now, Uh but a lot of snow cover. You go south. There's no snow cover in Kansas, and it's all 50s right now. Exactly. that. Pretty much that snow cover stops at the Nebraska-Kansas border uh, just to the south of it on a, a visible satellite photo. You're not seeing anything in the way of any snow cover on the ground, but lots of snow still in Nebraska. Temperatures in Kansas, upper 40s to low 50s. Also, those low 50s in northeast Colorado, more so in the low to mid 40s as you head into Nebraska, mostly the low 40s right now. And uh, fortunately, those trends are going to continue for the next uh, 24 hours or so. Yes, a very much a nice week on the way for today. A lot nicer than what we did see for sure last week. All right, very good. Well, what do we have for the rest of our day? Might be a little windy. Yeah, been on the breezy side right now. Those winds, of course, uh, gusting up to 30 in many locations and sustained winds into the teens to around 20. But the dry and warmer weather looks like it's here to stay through at least the day Saturday. A building ridge of high pressure diminishing that snow cover and also some persistent westerly downslope winds will result in sunshine staying in our forecast. And some of our mildest temperatures we've seen in about a month. Today's temperatures 5 degrees above average. Tomorrow will be our warmest day of the next seven. So get out and enjoy with highs nearly 10 degrees above average. And with that lack of snow cover in Kansas, expecting highs tomorrow in northern Kansas into the 60s. Dry passage of a cold front late in the day tomorrow. Drop those temperatures to slightly below average for Wednesday and Thursday. Friday and Saturday will remain dry with temperatures warming back to seasonal. We will start to see some chances of rain and snow Saturday night into Sunday with the approach of low pressure. This system does bear some watching as it moves across the southern plains for early next week. That pattern next week looking a little more active for precipitation. The active weather reflected in the latest long-term forecast. Slightly colder than normal temperatures are likely for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through the early half of next week. Temperatures more likely to trend seasonal late next week through March 7th, so no major cool-downs on the way. 
For now, it looks like the bulk of any of that precipitation will be to our south and east. Slightly above normal precipitation is indicated for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through early next week. Below normal precipitation in the forecast late next week through March 7th. But still some uncertainty as far as the forecast models go. Definitely a system to watch, but for right now, it looks like most of it will stay to our south and east. Key weather factors impacting the markets include warm and dry weather in the forecast for Argentina and a slow soybean harvest in central Brazil here in the U.S., And over the next five days, completely dry weather will cover the central plains and mid-Mississippi Valley. Mostly light precipitation of rain and snow will fall today in the eastern U.S., followed by some early to midweek snow across the northern U.S. Late in the week, a storm crossing the south may produce some rain and wet snow. The Midwest weather this weekend brings a chance of light to moderate precipitation, with areas in drought being closely watched for a benefit from the precipitation. The southern plains will be fairly dry much of this week, with precipitation expected this weekend, moderate amounts of precipitation towards the southern areas of the southern plains, mostly light amounts in the drier areas of the north. Across central Brazil, showers continue this weekend, creating additional delays for soybean harvest and second crop corn planting. The rain looks to continue mostly this week, though the showers may not be as widespread as the previous couple of weeks. In southern Brazil, rain is indicated in the middle of this week, followed by a drier trend. For central Argentina, dryness continues to be a concern this next week for immature corn and soybeans. In addition to the dryness, temperatures will turn above normal, adding heat stress to dryness concerns for filling corn and soybeans. So back here in our region, we're looking at warmer temperatures, uh, a good portion of this week, but uh, that'll create a lot of snow melts. Yeah, and you know, that over the weekend, we're seeing a lot yeah. of snow melts, and today we'll probably really see that snow disappear with these westerly winds blowing pretty good clip and uh, just warming things up very quickly and drying it out, too. Might be a little sloppy out there, though, <laughs> yeah, on those... the pens or those rural roads. Exactly. <laughs> All right, very good. For more weather, where can you find that at? Weather page, krvn.com. It's quickly become the hottest new cooking genre of 2021, air frying. I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network, and today we're joined on the phone by Scott Stebner. He's the Director of Communications with the Kansas Beef Council. And Scott, the Kansas Beef Council has created a new recipe series to really elevate beef within air frying. Tell us a little bit more about what your team has created. Yeah, thanks for having me. And air fryers have taken off. Actually, some recent research suggests that almost 40% of American households have one of these now. And as we were looking over these trends, we saw that this is definitely a space that uh, we can add beef to the conversation, especially since we noticed beef was underrepresented in this space. So the Kansas Beef Council team developed, photographed, and distributed uh, quite a few air fryer beef recipes starting right after the holidays, right after those consumers probably got that air fryer for Christmas. And uh, those seven recipes that we developed have been seen over a million times online, and tens of thousands of consumers have come to our website to grab the recipes. So tell us about some of these recipes that you shared with consumers. So, yes, our recipes, gosh, they are so good. Some of my personal favorites are a cheese steak taquito and a popcorn steak bite. So these are tenderized uh, pieces of beef wrapped and uh, breaded in your favorite potato chip. So those are two that did really, really well. 
Uh, we also had a delicious recipe for the Super Bowl that while the Super Bowl might have been disappointing, this recipe definitely wasn't. It was an air fryer nacho cheese meatball. And we also have some carne asada fries, stuffed poblano peppers. For the breakfast lovers out there, we have a beefy frittata. And uh, for those of you who really uh, want to do a DIY recipe, we just released a beef jerky in the air fryer recipe that is also very good. Ooh, that's kind of fun. So, Scott, for people who aren't familiar, um, the air fryer is basically an oilless version of a traditional fryer, and it's supposed to be healthier. Um, it's the new trend. The trend was the Instapot. Now people are turning to air fryers. But tell us about the benefits of incorporating beef into air fryer recipes. Well, I think the biggest thing to realize is consumers are looking for an easy way to feed their family. Uh, there's a lot of research out there talking about what COVID has done to purchasing behavior, but I think we're also seeing a lot of kitchen fatigue. But also, it is the novel thing you're seeing right now. Pinterest searches and Google searches are really, really top of mind for consumers as it relates to the air fryer. So the beef checkoff, we always want to be agile. We always want to be top of mind for consumers. So I think that is the big reason uh, why we developed these air fryer recipes is to really put beef into the conversation of air fryers because consumers are wanting easy, uh, delicious recipes that they can make for their kids and their family. And beef definitely is our favorite when it comes to that. Absolutely. So, Scott, now that we've got all of the listeners hungry, uh, where is the best way to find all of these recipes and learn more about what you guys are doing? Well, to learn more about these recipes and also what the Kansas Beef Council is doing, we recommend going to kansasbeef.org and visiting the hub, or the beef hub specifically. And you'll see an article under the updates that talks about our air fryer recipes, and it'll give you a link so you can actually make those yourself. All right. Thanks so much, Scott. That again is Scott Stebner joining us. He's the director of communications with the Kansas Beef Council, sharing about their new air fryer recipes that they've created to feature beef. Broadcasting today from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen has stepped back in and well, we were talking about it last hour, but a, a big Sunday victory for the uh, Husker volleyball team. Yeah, it was. Nebraska not lost two in a row at home in quite some time. Of course, things are different this year with the COVID scheduling, but they bounced back from Friday's defeat and handled fifth-ranked Minnesota sweeping that one yesterday. And head coach John Cook says they did a nice job of finding themselves. Well, we certainly were a different team today than we were Friday night. And um, whatever... Whatever interference we had Friday night, we got rid of for today. And um, you just tell we came out really crisp, and that's the team I've been seeing in practice every day. Cook made his comments on his postgame show on the Husker Sports Network. Nebraska bounced back from Friday's loss by hitting 300 on Saturday. It's Nebraska's first win over a top-five team in three years. Also, it's the first time they have swept a top-five team since they swept Minnesota four years ago. So it was what they needed. It gives them a little push. Now we'll see what they can do against Wisconsin on the road this weekend. That's a whole other animal. Three years since the last yeah. win over a top-five team. That's that's interesting just because of how dominant they've been. Also, it's weird to hear a coach talk about how well they've been performing in practice and seeing correlated <laughs> yeah. on the field or yeah. the court. 
Uh, where have we ever heard that from before? <laughs> Look at Tyler Cavalli throwing some shade. Hey, just saying. The UNK volleyball team also got back on track by sweeping Newman and Emporia State yesterday. Isabel Bourne, who rapidly is becoming a star for the Husker women's basketball squad, had a career-high 22. She also ripped down 11 rebounds as Nebraska rolled to an 87-72 win over Penn State yesterday. The Huskers 11-9 overall. 9-8 in the Big Ten. Colorado Rockies outfielder Ian Desmond has decided to opt out for a second straight season. The Gold Glove center fielder announced on Instagram that he desires to be with his family. He should just retire. He's he's 35. Yeah, he's getting old enough at this point. And there was no guarantee he was going to start. I mean, he's already injured with them the two years ago. So, yeah, at this point, just sit it out. And the Minnesota Timberwolves have fired coach Ryan Saunders hours after the team with the NBA's worst record this season, lost for the eighth time in the last nine games. Sounds like Toronto assistant Chris Finch will be the next guy to walk the plank for the Timberwolves, who uh, (laughs) have not been relevant in a while. No, they've been pretty brutal. And they have good players, is the deal. They have a couple good guys. I Uh, thought they'd made some progress, too, but apparently not. Uh, big news, too, on uh, Twitter, Luke McCaffrey announcing that he's transferring to Louisville. So that'll be interesting to see how he pans out there. We'll see if he ends up as a quarterback or as a wide receiver. I think they have two other quarterbacks on the roster right now, so we'll see if he plays or not. But uh, there you go. Another Husker finding his new home. Thank you. Mm-hmm. This morning, Governor Pete Ricketts announced a rental assistance program through NIFA, the state's housing finance agency. Ricketts held a media briefing to discuss new assistance and new COVID data. The agency's executive director, Shannon Harner, explained some of the guidelines of the program. In addition to income limit eligibility, tenants should remember the three L's, lease, landlord, and loss of income. Approval requires a copy of the current lease with the applicant who is a party to that lease. It requires contact with the landlord for verification of current tenancy amounts due and other verification information. And it requires documentation of demonstrated loss of household income as a result of either directly or indirectly the COVID-19 pandemic. The assistance is available to help with past due rent as far back as last April and can also be applied to future rent up to three months ahead Applicants can receive a maximum of 15 months worth of assistance or up to $20,000. An 18-month-old girl has died after being hit by a pickup truck driven by her father in eastern Nebraska. The Douglas County Sheriff's Office says the accident happened Saturday evening on a rural property just northwest of Bennington. 37-year-old Joshua Hannum was driving the truck when he hit 18-year-old Hazel Hannum. The child was rushed to an Omaha hospital where she died. Her death remains under investigation. President Joe Biden paid a visit Saturday to former Senator Bob Dole after the World War II veteran and 1996 Republican presidential nominee announced that he'd been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Biden served in the Senate with Dole for more than two decades. The president arrived Saturday afternoon at Washington's Watergate Complex, where the 97-year-old and his wife Elizabeth have maintained a longtime residence. The White House described Dole as a close friend of the president. Dole said this week he plans to begin undergoing treatment. Dole represented his native Kansas in Congress for almost 36 years. 
Meanwhile, Kansas Governor Laura Kelly is urging the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission to investigate systemic failures during this month's weather emergency and to protect Kansans from demand-related price surges for natural gas and electricity. In a letter that was signed by Kelly and members of the Kansas Corporation Commission, Kansas was among many states hit with snow, ice, and bitter cold over the past two weeks. Kelly and the commission called on the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission to examine the circumstances that led to the reduced supply of natural gas. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Bryce Dusky joining you now on the Rural Radio Network, and we're joined today in the Lincoln studio by Bill Ogg. Of course, he's the executive director of the Nebraska State Fair. Bill, thanks for stopping by our Lincoln studios. We sure appreciate it. Our pleasure. It was really easy because we just finished up our annual Nebraska State Fair board meeting in downtown Lincoln. And as required by statute, every other year we're, we meet in Lincoln for our annual meeting. You and I having this conversation here on, on Friday, like you mentioned, following the latest board meeting. How are things going? Big picture for the Nebraska State Fair. Sounds like you guys had a productive meeting. Yes, sir. Uh, big picture for the Nebraska State Fair, I think, is very optimistic. Um, uh, board re-election uh, symbolized, I think, some stability and continuity. We re-elected uh, Beth Smith from the Lincoln area uh, as chair. Uh, our executive committee follows with, with Bob Haig, Boyd Strope, and Don Caldwell, all re-elected to that position. Uh, again, not a life sentence, but uh, again, I think a, a good opportunity for um, some some stability. And I think the fair... Uh, can really benefit from that right now. So uh, big picture is great, Bryce. Thanks. When it comes to planning the Nebraska State Fair, it's not literally like you start and stop. It's year-round. <laughs> you have staff that focuses on that. And I know the staff and the board has been uh, really thinking about what this year's Nebraska State Fair will look like coming off a rough year for everybody. And yep. so tell us what are some of the things you have in store this year. Well, certainly. We, we hope that we are blessed with uh, the accommodation of, um, you know, uh, protocols for the pandemic, and, and that's been uh, essentially uh, manageable. Um, it's a flu, so it's never going to be eradicated. It, it'll be with us forever, and we have to recognize the science of that. Uh, but some plans. Uh, you know, hopefully we're back to uh, the full-blown fair that Nebraskans know and love and, and something for everyone, literally and figuratively. Um, we're looking at outdoor concerts this year. Again, as we, we joke, uh, the weather is such a huge factor in that. But a couple of good reasons to promote that. One is, if the weather's uh, accommodating, outdoor concerts in the summer are certainly more fun and, and, uh, and could, could draw the attendance. The other is, if we're still lingering in some capacity or distancing issues because of COVID-19, outdoor will allow us to separate and still accommodate the number of people that we would project to make that concert affordable. I believe it was at the last uh, board meeting where it was announced that uh, you would be uh, moving forward at least into the next year with split weekends for 4-H and FFA. Of course, that's a particular interest for our our listeners here on the Rural Radio Network. Tell me about what that's going to look like in the decision to go that direction. Again, excellent question. Thank you. In 2020, the Fair Board made the decision to empower us to host, you know, what I think is the backbone of the Nebraska State Fair. That's our 4-H and FFA members. So we, and again, to uh, f- obey protocols and uh, uh, effectively allow for distancing and some of those criteria, we hosted uh, about 3,000 4-Hers on the opening weekend of the fair, about 2,000 FFA members on the, the second weekend or Labor Day weekend of the fair. 
we may have created a monster in that uh, the uh, the exhibitors, uh, the 4-H and FFA families, liked that so well that they uh, approached uh, you know their respective organizations and they rightfully represented them uh, strongly to to management and to the board to maintain that schedule of separation. And we wrestled, I think, very sincerely at great length about the challenge that that is for some families who have uh, youth in in both organizations and because of distance and expense and time may require them to to choose one over the other. We also looked at the the significant challenges of the domino effect that that decision would have on our open class exhibitions and competitions. The decision was not made lightly. It was made in the best interest of, and not just for 4-H and FFA, but truly in the best interest of the state fair. We, we're going to work our, our hearts out to make sure that our open class exhibitors and all those other entities are minimally affected and, quite frankly, could be positively affected. Bill, as we wrap up here, I want to ask you a question. It, by all indications, it sounds like to me you're, a, you're an ag kid to the roots, obviously. Uh, you live in this space, and I think when you were doing your interview, you said you're more comfortable in blue jeans than you are a, a suit and tie, but... How do you balance? Now, now, now tell our listeners, though, I, I dressed up a little <laughs> for this did, annual yeah. meeting. I'll give you okay. that credit. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> How do you balance as the executive director uh, hosting 4-H and FFA members and their families and really celebrating agriculture and the livestock element of that, while also trying to create an event that's open to the public and really draws that Lincoln-Omaha urban crowd out there to experience, sure, the livestock, but get them there for your concerts and so forth, too? Our mission, Bryce, is ag education. And I personally and professionally am very committed to that. Um, that's a responsibility of a, of a fair, but it's also an opportunity. This is the, the opportunity to showcase uh, production agriculture at its finest and to display the very best livestock, the very best crops, uh, the, the newest innovation in technology and agriculture. Uh, what an opportunity for us then to educate our non-ag public, which of course is 98% of our population. Um, certainly the wholesome competition of our youth and our open class exhibitors, you know, the, the cattle cookies and quilts is what makes the, the quote fair unique because we could have, uh, you know, concerts and carnivals and trade shows and that throughout the year. But a fair incorporates those attractions with that competitive exhibit component. Very, very important. Bill Ogg, Nebraska State Fair Executive Director. Sure appreciate you stopping by our Lincoln Studios today, Bill. Always great to catch up with you. Thank you, Bryce. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network. With the business report for this Monday, I'm Bob Brogan. The main stock indexes are mixed in afternoon trading amid concerns about rising interest rates and the potential for inflation down the road. The S&P 500 and the NASDAQ Composite have been down since the open, but the Dow has moved into positive territory. Wall Street remains hopeful that another round of government aid can give the economy a jolt as vaccine distribution continues. The U.S. House of Representatives is likely to vote on President Joe Biden's proposed stimulus package by the end of the week. Boeing has recommended that airlines ground all 777s with the type of engine that blew apart after takeoff from Denver this weekend, and most carriers that fly those planes said they would temporarily pull them from service. 
The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration ordered United Airlines to step up inspections of the aircraft after one of its flights made an emergency landing Saturday. Pieces of the casing of the Pratt & Whitney PW4000 engine rained down on suburban neighborhoods. United is among the carriers that has grounded the planes. Two of the biggest remaining American-owned and base tire manufacturers are joining forces. Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company is acquiring Cooper Tires in a deal with an equity value of $2.8 billion that will combine the two century-old Ohio companies. Cooper shareholders will get $41.75 in cash and about nine-tenths shares of Goodyear common stock per share of Cooper stock. The U.S. government and Becton Dickinson have partnered together in a $70 million investment to further injection device manufacturing for the coronavirus vaccine at BD's plant in Holdridge. Company spokesperson Alyssa Pira says some of the $70 million will be going to their Columbus location, but the majority is going to the Holdridge plant. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Watch the Sunrise Report live from the Nebraska Ag Expo on our Facebook page. Catch the program each day of the show, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. The Sunrise Report is brought to you by the Nebraska Ag Expo and Prairie Industries. University of Nebraska-Lincoln High Plains Ag Lab, located on 2,410 acres outside of Sydney, celebrated its 50th anniversary recently. David Baltensberger, the department head of soil and crop science at Texas A&M, was the millet breeder at the High Plains Ag Lab in the 80s and 90s. A native of Kimball, Baltensberger's father was an original member of the HPAL Advisory Committee and helped bring the Ag Lab to Sydney along with others, including Charlie Fenster, the UNL Panhandle Research and Extension Center Dryland Cropping System Specialist from 1956 until 1983. Baltensberger says Fenster did a good deal of work to get the lab established. The community worked with Charlie to get the military to donate the land. And because the farmers of the region were vested in it and wanted a research center there to support their work, it was really a close-knit group. While his specialty is millet, Baltensberger explains how wheat is the anchor for rain-fed agriculture in the panhandle. The Ag Lab was established to look at complementary crops and to look at how to grow wheat with less erosion. And that's what Charlie Finster was hired to do, was to help reduce soil erosion and conserve our soil. So he developed what we called stubble mulch farming. Today they'll call it reduced tillage farming. And then later did the initial work on no-till farming. Even back then, farmers knew they needed an alternative to wheat. Since wheat was all that was growing, when there was too much, prices were low and farmers suffered. My role was as an alternative crops breeder was to develop other crops. And because we developed around the birdseed industry, most of the proso millet goes to the birdseed industry. There's a bird, big birdseed processing plant in Sydney and another one in Akron, Colorado. And a lot of our work was in northern Colorado as well. Those provided a basis. And from there, we did work on sunflowers and Niger thistle and other crops that that the bird seed industry uses. And that's about a $2 billion a year industry, the bird seed industry in the U.S. 
Baltinsperger inherited the millet program from Dr. Lennis Nelson in 1989. We released most of the millet varieties uh, in the subsequent years that are growing in Colorado and Nebraska and Wyoming and South Dakota, uh, North Dakota and Minnesota at this stage. And they only grow a half million acres. You know, they grow, what, 90 million acres of corn and soybeans a year. Yeah. And we grow a half million acres of of millet a year, but those are all varieties that were developed there at the Ag Lab. There are a few that are older, but there hasn't been another millet breeder other than the one at the the one in the Scotts Bluff or at the Ag Lab since uh, since the eighties. Baltinsberger says what makes the lab such an important research site is really where it's located. Where it is, there are parts of China that have very similar environments, parts of the Soviet Union that had very similar environments. And it really was an internationally recognized research center for rain-fed agriculture. Lots of times it gets grouped with the ARS lab at Akron, Colorado, because those are the two at that latitude with that rainfall that match up. The 50th anniversary normally would have been observed during a summer annual field day in 2020, but the event was unable to be held because of the COVID pandemic. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we talk to John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. John, we start out the week fairly strong, ending in the green across all the corn and soybean and wheat contracts, but most specifically in those soybeans, new crop ending just a quarter away from an all-time new contract high. What does that signal to the market? Well, I think we've, we've been pretty much steadily higher since the egg form where the number of the 90 million broke. So my thinking is you, the market's probably a little disappointed that the numbers weren't higher. <clears throat> when you start penciling in the yields, even in trend yields, you're not going to get enough carryover appreciation to really change the story here. Now, we could do it beyond trend yield. That's certainly possible, but that's where it's going to have to come from. And I think the market's slowly coming to that realization, uh, especially with the deferred. You know, I'm talking like 2022s, 2023 contracts even that are starting to rally as well just given the, the uh, you know, appreciation we're seeing in commodities across the book. So some of the better kind of gauge econo- uh, commodities that you like to follow, like copper, for example, trading almost to its 2012 high, above $4, very solid price action on bullish fundamentals, and that's, uh, that's going to be supportive here for me. So I look for a continued push here, corn and beans both breaking above the, the recent levels that we've kind of battled with here on closing basis. And now it's, you know, I think they'll chase down the old crop at some point. So... Uh, that market, those markets have found a little little buying to take place here, although I think delivery might be interesting. We're coming off the Lunar New Year holiday in China, yet they're not back in the market, at least in a big enough way for USDA to announce a flash sale first thing this morning. Do you think South America is getting some beans and other grains to the port despite their sluggish harvest? I think so. I mean, you're seeing some supply being met here, but I don't think it's enough, and I think the you know, the markets to watch really like bean oil. Watch how that trades here into delivery. So once we get through the end of this week and the next week, then it's the commercial side that will step in. From what I've heard, there are many available. So the markets are screaming higher overseas. Um, I think they're just trying to find replacements somewhere and trying to find somebody who doesn't want to take supply. So uh, all in all, we've caught ourselves here in a pretty good market for the farm side. And I look for, uh, you know, bullishness 
seems across the books, even in markets like hogs and cattle, where you think feeding expensive grains might be expensive. When you look at the export markets going into the uh, Eastern Asia, we don't have any room to really shut them down. So I think higher corn, higher feed prices might result in more of a quicker upswing than we expect in some of these feeders as well, a feeder market. So um, short-term we'll watch for that, but I, I would imagine this is just the start of a, of a, a pretty fun summer that, that folks can pay attention to. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involve risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing. All right, thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Monday edition of Midday. For more, you can visit krvn.com for the entire podcast sponsored by Devenny Motors. 